Hey there, everybody. Uh, Matt here. Real quick up front, I'm tacking this onto the front of a pre-recorded brand cast. Uh, I did want to issue some thanks for recent iTunes reviews, and I'd done so in the last book podcast, but some of these people might not be book readers, so I want to make sure that you're thanked. Darth Evolution, the night is dark and full of, I guess, turnips? And Nikki M. from Illinois in the U.S. iTunes store, Christopher Holmquist in the Swedish iTunes store, and XHanna91 and Brown Dog in the Australian iTunes store. Thank you all so much for leaving written reviews in uh, your podcast app. I very much appreciate it. And you are now included in the contest to win one of two copies of the Game of Thrones Season 6 official soundtrack in the format of your choice. Uh, More about that contest in the cast itself. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy part two of our look at brand, The Roots of Discovery. Take care. Spoiler alert. This podcast will cover events in the most recent aired episode of Game of Thrones on HBO. If you have not seen that episode yet, you may wish to avoid this podcast until you have. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R.R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, you're listening to Podcast Winterfell. your host, Matt Murdock. Hey there, and welcome to Podcast Winterfell. It's episode 286 of the podcast. It's Bran, The Roots of Discovery. It's our second part of looking at Bran, and my name is Matt Murdock. I'm from podcastwinterfell.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can also find contact links, social media links, in case you have any feedback. I will have an upcoming feedback podcast, or I hope to. I'm pre-recording this one, so uh, hopefully I'm scheduling everything properly. Uh, But we will have a feedback podcast, so if you have any thoughts about our Theory of the Dawn podcasts or uh, our Aria or Brandcast, be sure to get them to me, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com or at winterfellpod or 314-669-1840. Podcastwinterfell.com is also where you can find podcatcher links or podcast app links. And I would love it if you would take the time to leave me a written review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast app that you use because that helps me stay more noticeable among the three or four billion other Game of Thrones podcasts and it helps me know what you like and dislike about the show when you uh, give some criticism or or when you uh, give some praise. I know what, uh, what you're looking for in a podcast and that helps me to keep the show the best it can be for everybody. In addition, if you leave a written review... Uh, between now and October 4th, 2016, you'll be included in a contest to win one of two copies of the Game of Thrones Season 6 official soundtrack by Ramin Javadi. Uh, And you'll be able to take it in whatever form that you choose. Like if you'd prefer to have the CD, then I will give you the CD if you win. Or if you would prefer to have MP3s, I'll give you those if you win. But the only way that you can be eligible to win is to have left a written review in your podcast app 
whatever that is, by October 4th, 2016. If you've already left a review and nothing about your feelings about the podcast have changed, no need to leave a new review. Um, you're already entered. I've got a lot of names in the hat right now, but there's always room for more, and I'd like for you to have a chance to win. Uh, and I am giving away two copies, so no matter how many entries I have, um, you have a one in half of that number chance to win, which is a lot better than one in all of that number, right? Anyway, that's enough about the podcast. As you know, we did a book podcast in between, or at least hopefully we did a book podcast in between uh, the last brand and this one. Um, so if you need to go back to Podcast Winterfell 284 to review the brandcast before you listen to this one to see where we are, feel free. Otherwise, let's trudge forward with Bran, The Roots of Discovery. We've discovered through the course of six seasons of Game of Thrones just how extraordinary the powers that Bran wields can potentially be for the story. We've seen him be a catalyst for a lot of the political machinations of seasons one through three, and as a narrator to the overall story of The Long Night. Because of that, understanding the kinds of allies he has made, or the enemies that have pursued him, has become just as paramount. Interestingly enough, most threats to Bran have been more of a political or regional power nature, rather than anything to do with his true potential in this story. He was, of course, thrown from a window to protect a secret that would have ramifications for the Baratheons and Lannisters. An attempt on his life was made to finish him off, though again, authorized by who and for what reasons remains unclear as far as the television show goes. He was forced to surrender Winterfell to Theon and ultimately had to escape when Ramsay took Winterfell back from Theon. He was then pursued by the Boltons as he made his way to the Wall and beyond. That culminated in a threat to him and his companions at Craster's Keep on two fronts, from both Locke and the Night's Watch deserters. It is not until he finally reaches the Three-Eyed Raven that the potential enemy of the White Walkers becomes aware of his power and begins to pursue him. But without those other political threats, Bran's powers might not have developed as startlingly quick as they have. And to look at it on the other side of the coin, these constant threats to Bran could have ended his seemingly important destiny implied by his journey. And other than the threat to his life regarding what he may or may not remember about Cersei and Jaime, one other character has been a central catalyst to the perils he has faced, and that person is Theon. But, of course, that threat is a complete surprise to Bran. Even if he did have a green dream of the waves coming over the walls of Winterfell, remember that Theon had actually saved Bran's life by shooting the wildling holding a knife to his throat when he first met Osha. It makes it easy to understand the confusion and the surprise Bran experienced when Theon first took Winterfell, his horror when he had to experience Sir Roderick's execution, and the guilt he probably felt realizing that the orphans he sent to the farmer ended up killed and burned to pose as himself and Rickon to help Theon enforce his rule at Winterfell. But there was, of course, the greater political threat looming with the Boltons, 
which he may or may not have ever been aware of. When Theon admitted that he didn't kill Bran and Rickon, Ramsay knew that Bran or Rickon being alive could pose a threat to his and his father's quest for power in the North. Are you all right? Yes. It doesn't hurt. Tough little lad. In the Iron Islands, you're not a man until you've killed your first enemy. Well done. Have you lost your mind? What have you missed? He would have killed you and cut Bran's throat. You don't have the right to... To what? To save your brother's life? It was the only thing to do, so I did it. My men are bringing your people together in the courtyard. Why? So you and I can go down and tell them how you've yielded Winterfell to me. I won't. Yes, you will. I won't. I'll never yield. We'll fight you and throw you out. The castle is mine. But these people are still yours. You'll yield to keep them safe. To keep them alive. That's what a good lord would do. Think carefully about what you want to say. Theon. Did you hate us the whole time? I've yielded Winterfell to Prince Theon. You all know me! Aye, we know you for a steaming sack of... Farlin, you be silent. Listen to your little lord, Farlin. He has more sense than you do. All of you should do as he commands. It's your dream, little lord. The ocean has come to swallow this place. I ain't letting it drown me. The sword. Coward. Stop! Stop right now! You don't give commands anymore, little lord. Hush now, child. I'm off to see your father. I told you what would happen. All of you. I told you what would happen if you served me loyally. And what would happen if you did not? What are you doing? There are what have you done? You still question whether your new lord means what he says. Here is the answer to your question. Reef, tell father, where are Bran and Rickon Stark? don't know, my lord. You murdered them. And displayed their corpses at Winterfell. Wait. Did you murder the Stark boy? No, my lord. Just two farm boys. And crisped them so no one would know. Yes, my lord. The Starks have always ruled the North. If Bran and Rickon are alive... The country will rally to their side now that Rob Stark is gone. And of course, because of that last conversation, not only was Bran in peril from the mutineer Night's Watchmen at Craster's Keep, but also from Roose Bolton's lapdog with a bite, Locke. 
You ready for a hunt? Always. Find those boys and I'll give you a thousand acres and a hole first. Your pet rat have any thoughts on which way they went after Winterfell? Jon Snow's at Castle Black. Who's Jon Snow? Their bastard brother. They could be sheltering them. They may know where they are. Even if he doesn't, he's half Stark himself. Could be a threat. Rescue parties here, lads. Lady? Is John with you? Aye. I'll take you to him. Here, Brandon Stark. Horror! A little crippled lord. You're going for a ride, boy. John! 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 Keep talking, and I'll cut your friend's throats. Starting with the idiot. Do you hear? Do you hear? Jojen, Mira, free them. Go! There is something in these clips that do provide foreshadowing for the narrative of the story, which further proves Bran's functional role within the story. Because of Bran still being alive and where he might be, Ramsay points out that Jon Snow might be as much of a threat to the Bolton rule of the North as anything else. And that foreshadows the ultimate showdown in the Battle of the Bastards episode in Season 6. And the most shocking thing about that final exchange is that Bran, of course, warged into Hodor and controlled him to kill Locke. This, of course, isn't the first time we've seen Bran warg into Hodor, which is extraordinary in itself. But to use another human being against their will to kill has a very dark connotation to it, even if in self-defense. And you will recall how shocked and confused Hodor seemed after that had happened and Bran had let go of his control of Hodor. It was very disturbing, and maybe even more disturbing now that we know the story of how Hodor got his name. Perhaps Hodor, in the moments after killing Locke, was remembering his very first traumatic experience as a child when he experienced his own future death as he held the door. That feeling of someone being in his head again, his consciousness being squashed away as another will controls him while he is helpless. This brings up a major question. We know Bran to be generally a well-intended person, but is it this darkness of his ability to control other beings of his own race that has drawn the Night King to him? Or does the Night King simply want to destroy him? We've seen how the White Walkers were made, but then the question becomes, what do the White Walkers want? Are they merely wanting to destroy Bran because he is allied with the Children of the Force that created them in the first place? 
Or is it possible that they are seeking some kind of solution to their situation that they feel brand can be an instrumental part of? One thing is for certain. Brand's mentor, the Three-Eyed Raven, was menacingly destroyed by the White Walkers, so that may very well be the precedent. But since we don't know what happened in the thousand or more years between the Three-Eyed Raven and the White Walker race, we can't really say 100% for certain what their intentions for Bran might be. And though we may only be able to speculate on those questions at the moment, there are things that are much more concrete that we can concentrate on. One being the exponential curve of power that Bran has been launched upon since his fleeing of Winterfell. These powers are naturally daunting and could potentially be misused, as we've seen with Hodor's case, and guidance is definitely needed. This is where the arrival of the Reeds becomes so important to Bran, not only as allies, but also as guides. Osha, because of her fear of what lies ahead for Bran, has closed off the notion of Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven. But the arrival of the Reeds in Season 3 not only helps Bran to fulfill his destiny to get to the Three-Eyed Raven, but begins to prepare Bran for the training that will occur at the tree. And even in their first meeting, via a shared green dream, Jojen Reed tells Bran exactly what we learn his destiny to be by the end of Season 6. Think too much, Bran. Relax your bow arm. <laughs> and which one of you was a marksman at ten? Father. You can't kill it, you know. Why not? Because the raven is you. Just as Jojen says, by the end of season six, Bran is the three-eyed raven. But the dreams of Bran during season three can be somewhat difficult to interpret. For instance, while we are told that green dreams are the visiting of events in the past or the present or the future, sometimes leagues and leagues away from the dreamer, this dream seems to be more of a direct telepathic communication. Jojen recalls the dream just as Bran and Rickon both have shared the dream. But how is the communication between the dreamers themselves possible? And why have we not seen that part of the dreams exhibited since? Throw into the mix the dream Bran has of his mother, Catelyn. have to go after him. How? You know how. Using the precedent of a possible shared consciousness with Jojen and Bran, is it possible to think 
that this dream with Catelyn is also a shared consciousness, one where Bran has entered the dream state of his mother, who has received news of what has happened at Winterfell and the possible death of her boys, and is clinging on to her protective nature. And it just so happens that Bran is there in her dream. Is it possible that Bran has exhibited his first ability to enter a dream state of another on his own, even though not within his control, just as the Three-Eyed Raven has been coming to him in his own dreams, or to those of Jojen and Rickon? These are questions about powers that have not, nor likely ever will be, fully explained, but they're fun to ponder. Either way, as Bran continues to grow in his abilities, we return to the fact that guidance is definitely needed, and that is where the reeds come into play. Jojen's main contribution to Bran throughout their journey together was one of guidance, while Mira, who had been a caretaker for Jojen, assumed the same role for Bran once Osha departed. All of it led to their inevitable trip to beyond the wall to the tree, and Jojen uses what he knows about his own powers to try and help Bran understand his destiny. And he even changes Bran's original plans to merely go to Castle Black because of his own visions. He also encourages Bran's power of warging, from using it during dreams to willfully entering summer, and as a result, Hodor as well. Not only that, but Bran is made aware of the dangers of these powers to a person who uses them in addition to the benefits through Mira and Jojen. You must be Summer. I'm Jojen Reed. This is my sister, Mira. We've come a long way to find you, Brandon. And we have much farther to go. You can get inside his head. See through his eyes. Only when I'm asleep. Once out begins until you learn to control it. You're a wolf. It's not just wolves. Sometimes in my dreams, as a three-eyed raven. You've seen it. We saw them together. You haven't forgotten. Does it have anything to do with walking? No, the raven is something different, something deeper. The raven brings to sight. Seeing things that haven't happened yet. Or things that happened long before you were born, or things that are happening right now, thousands of miles away. Any boy his age who needs his sister to protect him is going to find himself needing lots of protecting. Some people will always need help. That doesn't mean they're not worth helping. When my father died, I dreamt it. You didn't dream it, you saw it. And so did I. You have the sight too. When I told my father about your father, the first time in my life I saw him cry. Your father is Halland Reed. Saved my father's life during the rebellion. Father told you about the rebellion. I never did. I saw that too. What else have you seen? The only one thing that matters. You. 
I'm right here with you. What's wrong with him? The visions take their toll. He's having one now. on the wrong side of the wall and surrounded by enemies. my dreams. You're a warg, Bran. It's in your blood. I can't. You just did with him. Morph is nothing compared to that. You were right. I can get inside someone's mind whenever I want. Of course you can. North of the wall there are wildings who can control all sorts of animals. But you did a lot more than that. You got inside Hodor's mind. I can't do that, North the Wall. No one can do that. Anyway. Why did you wake me? You've been gone for hours. I was hungry. We're all hungry. I was just eating. Summer was eating. Your body can't live on the food your wolf consumes. Spending too much time in summer skin is dangerous. You're not a dire wolf, Bran. Must be glorious, though. To run, to leap, to hunt. To be whole. No, it's tempting. But if you're trapped in summer for too long, you'll forget what it was to be human. You'd forget us, Bran. You'd forget your mother and father. You'd forget your brothers and sisters. You'd forget Winterfell. You'd forget you. And if we lose you, we lose everything. Summer's sudden turn from fierce to friendly, I suppose, is as much of an indicator of character as any. But I admit that as a first-time watcher who had, at that point, only read the Jojen and Mira stuff from Clash of Kings... I was quite skeptical of Jojen and Mira and didn't trust them any more than Osha did. But I did come around, of course, as the third and fourth seasons rolled on. I began to see Jojen as somewhat of a John the Baptist character, seeing Bran as the savior and Jojen knowing that his life would have to be paid in order to help Bran get to the place he needed to be, especially with the flaming hand vision that Jojen had at Craster's, which ultimately came true at the base of the tree. At the hill. The great wheelwood tree. 
You've seen it too. Mira and I, even Hodor, we're only here to guide you. He's waiting for you. We have to find it. You have to make it. We will. This, this isn't the end. Not for you. Not yet. How will we know the end? While Jojen is a very serious character, the only other worry for Bran, as demonstrated by Jojen, is of course the side effects that we've seen the Green Seeing have on Jojen himself. He and Mira warn Bran about staying too deep too long, and that is echoed, of course, by the three-eyed raven under the tree as well. So one has to wonder how this pertains to Jojen himself. Is the power simply too strong for him? And that is what's making him more sick as they go along their journey? Or is he staying longer than he should in those places that he shouldn't, and the sickness is a result of that? Or is it merely the cold? It's another not likely to be answered question, which is frustrating in a way because Bran obviously has the potential to eventually be in the same position as Jojen if he is not careful. That is, unless Bran's abilities offer him a stronger immunity to the effects that we've seen these kinds of things have on others. As for other interactions along the way of the journey, there is perhaps a greater irony that Bran passes within range of John twice, and yet circumstances do not allow him to reveal himself to his family member. Not only would John have tried to protect Bran, but John would have been able to give Winterfell to Bran once he won it back from the Boltons. On the other hand, if Bran had gone with John, he might never have learned about the half Targaryen, half Stark heritage of John. When I was looking through Summer's eyes, I saw John. Where? He was with the wildlings. They tried to kill him, but he got away. He'll be heading back to Castle Black then. That's where we should go. For all we know, Castle Black's already under attack. If this many wildlings I already through, told you. I'm not going north of the wall. Everything Jojen told me is true. You saw what I did to Hodor. I have to find the three-eyed raven. Listen to me, little lord. Don't worry. I'm not asking you to come with me. John! If he sees you, he won't let you go north. He's my brother. And he wants to protect you. I'll take you back to Castle Black. You have to decide. Do you want to find the three-eyed raven? We need to free Summer. And we need to go. Of course, by the end of Season 6, Bran is again south at the Wall, and the possibility that both may learn truths about each other and themselves as heirs to different things still lingers. 
But this is one of the facets of the story that I feel the showrunners have played with just a little bit too loosely. For me, the arrival of Sansa to the Wall would remind Jon that Bran is still out there, rather than him and Sansa both conveniently forgetting that he may still be alive. With Sansa seemingly safe at the Wall for the moment, and with Jon making clear that he is no longer bound by any kind of vows, one would think his next primary purpose would be to find Bran and to help him, rather than take Winterfell back. Of course, the brother you know is alive in Rickon, as opposed to the brother who may or may not have survived north of the Wall, may be the reasoning why Jon takes no action in regards to Bran. While I'm still a little bothered by this, I do have to accept the decisions that Jon has made here, at least for the moment. And speaking of Jon knowing about Bran being alive, another connection between Bran and Jon is Samwell and Gilly, who meet up with Bran and his gang within the abandoned Night's Watch fort. I'd be dead if it wasn't for John. If you're his brother, you're my brother too, and anything I can do to help you, I will. Take us north of the wall. Why in the world would I you want to go? I don't want to. I have to. If John is alive, then Castle Black's where he'll be. It's the safest place for you. There's nowhere safe any longer. You know that. What I know is what I saw. And if you saw it too, you'd run the other way. You saw the White Walkers and the army of the dead. How do you know that? The Night's Watch can't stop them. The kings of Westeros and all their armies can't stop them. But you're going to stop them. Please, sir. I have to go north. I have to. What is it? Dragonglass. We found them at the fist. Someone buried them a long time ago. Someone wanted us to find them. Why? What are they for? Killing White Walkers. How do you know that? The Walker came for my baby. And Sam. But no one's killed a White Walker in thousands of years. Well, I suppose someone had to be the first. Paint it, Hodor. And the archer. I got lucky. With one of them. There are more. Many more. And for every one of them, the dead men. More than you could count. I wish you'd come with us. I wish I could. I really do. Note that Bran's mission is clearly defined to stop the White Walkers at this point. But once Bran passes through the wall, peril surrounds him, and if not for his own abilities, say with his warging into Hodor, he and his band might have been killed. The Craster's keep peril was twofold, with the mutineers and with Locke, Yet fortunately, Bran survived both and made it to the tree with the help of a vision from the Three-Eyed Raven. But once at the tree, Bran's story turns back to less of a catalyst and more of a narrator once again. And in my opinion, the how of the magic at play gets no better explained than it already was by Jojen. For instance, the Three-Eyed Raven says things that we've already heard the reeds say. Don't stay immersed too long, etc. That, to me, was a little disappointing as a fan, but nonetheless, the reward for not getting more information about 
how the abilities work was to receive some real nuggets of the history of the world itself, especially as it pertains to Brand's own family or the White Walkers. And that is where the podcast episode gets its title, The Roots of Discovery. It is the contact with what we call the Weirwood Network that we see visions of past and future through Brand's eyes, making him actually the most reliable narrator in all of the story. After all, why would trees lie? And there are other reasons about the kind of universe this is that we'll get into in a moment. But here is where we begin to look at all that Bran has seen. First, let's concentrate on the visions from within the tree. A lot of time is spent in the near past, when Bran's own father was a child. This is presumably to set up the time loop that explains how Willis got the name Hodor. But it is also fascinating to see a young Lyanna and the three brothers at a happier time. This also sets up the story of Lyanna herself, who we've heard since season one and how she was taken from Robert by Rhaegar. What book readers call the Tower of Joy vision is, of course, the climax of Lyanna's story, revealing that Jon Snow is not the son of Ned Stark, but rather the son of her and Rhaegar Targaryen, which, of course, is set up beautifully by the battle that took place before Ned entered. Because the entire story that Bran was aware of about the events of the Tower of Joy seemed to be somewhat of a lie. Ned did not defeat the King's Guard honorably. In fact, he won that battle in a way very much the opposite. And that was a great precursor to the secret that Ned had kept all of his life since John's true parentage. We also got a great reveal of the history of the White Walkers. Created through the magic of the children of the forest, the White Walkers were made out of men to defeat men, a purpose which it would appear the children now regret and have become enemies of. There is still more of that history to speculate about, though. We have Leaf tell us that men were the children's enemy, and the history and lore Blu-ray sections confirm this as well. But why did the children turn back to the side with men as they seemingly have now? Was the fact that the White Walkers could not be controlled and turned on their creators a source of that? Was it the regret of the children creating such a lethal force? At this point, we can only speculate on a number of possibilities, but the question is definitely something each viewer of the show should look at. And now that we know the White Walkers were not just some evil force that always existed, is there a reason to try and empathize or at least further understand what is driving them? As I asked in the prior cast, could this be Brant's ultimate role in the story? Because stopping the White Walkers may not necessarily mean causing them to be extinct. Again, we will have to see. And those are short synopses of the main visions that we were given during Brant's time in the tree, save one. The Hodor reveal was amazing, of course, as Bran and Mira had to flee from the Whites. And that one, of course, helps us to realize about Bran's power possibly having the ability to reach through time. Hold the door! Hold the door! Come on, sir. 
This event has, of course, made some ask an important question. Can Bran go back in time and change things so that our story might not have such unhappy endings? But I feel this very time loop proves that it cannot. Hold the Door became Hodor because of the trauma of the experience, meaning that even before Bran knew it would happen, it had happened. Therefore, anything Bran might be able to affect in the past will simply maneuver it to become what it has always been in Bran's past. No alternate universes, just everything lining up the way it has been, no matter whether Bran attempts something or not, because his influence will set it to the way that it has always been for him. Through this scene, to me, Game of Thrones has defined itself as a determinist universe. Now, this does not mean his influence hasn't affected other things that we know to be historically accurate. It merely means that whatever he may do in the future, however far he goes into the past, and no matter how many times, will have no effect on the past that we already know to be true. In fact, lots of fans out there have theories about how Bran is somehow influencing the Mad King into saying, burn them all. Maybe Bran is speaking about the White Walkers while seeing the Mad King in the past or such. Others have speculated that it might be the older three-eyed raven who influenced Mad King Ares, trying to warn him of the White Walkers. As for me, I think I will restrict my thoughts about any influence Bran has to what we actually see him have on screen, or what we may see him have in future episodes. But have fun with the notion for yourself, if you wish to do so. Still, if this world is one of a deterministic quality, then we have to accept that everything Bran sees in the future is destined to happen as well, not just the stuff that we've seen him have in the past, no matter what his influence may or may not be there. And this is where things get interesting, because during what I call the tree hug of Season 4 and the download of Season 6, we are in Bran's head and assaulted by many images of past, present, and future. And this is the way that Bran will continue to have a narrative functional role in the story, no matter how much or how little action he sees in future seasons. And of course, because of this, I think it's important to not only look at the character of Bran, but also what he has experienced in terms of being that narrative function. So let's break down what we've seen through his eyes in those flashes. In Season 4, Episode 2, The Lion and the Rose, Bran has his first visions from a weirwood tree. I feel it important to note that it is summer that leads Bran to the tree. And I have to ask the question, is this a piece of evidence for the possibility that the arrival of the direwolf mother and pups may have been by design? We know the direwolves to be very in tune with their Starks, but Summer drawing Bran to the tree seems to be outside of the normal direwolf behavior. Other direwolf behaviors that seem to go against being in tune with their Stark counterparts would be Ghost and John. Ghost leaves John in Season 2 and is not reunited with him until Season 4. But for a wolf who would not even leave John's dead body in Season 6, leaving John at all seems very odd behavior. But whatever decision you make regarding the direwolves, once Bran reaches the tree, this is what he sees. We see the place where Bran will end up, the great werewood tree that is the home of the three-eyed raven. We then see many entangled roots, 
This could be one of two things. It could be showing us the inside of the great tree near where the three-eyed raven is seated, or it could merely be a representation of the Weirwood network itself, indicating that all of the root systems of all of the Weirwood trees are interconnected, and that is why Bran is able to see throughout the world when he grabs onto a tree root. There are a couple of shots of this throughout. We next see something that we suspect Bran has seen many times, the three-eyed raven flying into the Winterfell crypts, and that is how Bran had suspected his father had been killed. We then see two shots of Ned, one sharpening his sword at the heart tree, and one in the black cells of King's Landing. These are again from the past, but the thing to keep in mind is that Bran was not witness to these things until this moment. We then get a shot of the vast north and the tree again, I believe indicating the journey that Bran must go on. Some believe that the shot of the vast north, because the sun is coming up, indicates the end of the long night, or the battle that is to come. The words, look for me, are then spoken by the three-eyed raven in the woods where Bran first met Jojen, and then another werewood face, which I believe is supposed to be another representation of the three-eyed raven himself, demonstrating that he is part of the werewood network. We then see the small girl white from the pilot, followed by the flock of ravens that followed Sam and Gilly. More roots and the tree again, and this to me indicates Bran's mission, that the three-eyed raven is calling Bran to aid in regards to the White Walkers. It also shows Bran things he was aware of by story, but has now witnessed firsthand. Remember that Bran heard the stories of the Night's Watch deserter, and the ravens would of course be tied to Sam, who has told him of the dangers in the north. Then there's more on the White Walkers, the decomposing horse from the season 2 finale. And then we see the Red Keep in a similar state as we saw in Daenerys' House of the Undying vision. Now, the same vision from two different sources would, to me, indicate further evidence of a determinist universe. There is no escaping this outcome of the Iron Throne Room being the way it is. We next go back to the White Walkers and see something from Bran's future there, I believe. I believe that is the altar where Craster's baby was turned into a White Walker by the Night King, something we as viewers witness later on in Season 4 from the airing of these visions. The next flash reveals to Bran the truth about what actually happened to him. Now, because we only hear Cersei's voice and see Bran falling, I can't determine whether this is to indicate that Bran remembers everything or has been shown everything that happened to him, but either way, he obviously has not acted on it, and as I stated in the previous Brancast, with Cersei having taken power for herself and all of her children being dead, this has kind of become a moot point, and it seems to be much more important that that allowed the three-eyed raven to start to come to him. But, from a functional role, of course, Bran was a catalyst for the greater story in King's Landing. We then see a shadow of a dragon flying over King's Landing, and that's something that is yet to happen, but with Daenerys and the Greyjoys coming, seems more likely to happen than ever. In fact, I believe it's possible that dragons coming to King's Landing and the hole in the roof of the Red Keep may actually be related. There are different times, of course, as winter has seemingly fully arrived in the Iron Throne shot, but the hole in the roof we saw in Daenerys' vision, I'm betting, is a result of a dragon attack, since Cersei managed to control her wildfire to only the Sept and its surrounding area. 
Now, those are the visions that Bran receives before his training begins. And we see that he is both startled and temporarily weakened by this vision that he gets on his way to the Great Tree. This is indicating that he needs further training from the Three-Eyed Raven. And we see him go through the process of training in the tree, but not without cost. Just getting to the tree, of course, causes the loss of Jojen, who it is not clear if he would have survived anyway, getting weakened further and further the closer they got to the tree. There is also the sacrifice of the direwolf Summer to the White Walkers to protect Bran. Season 6 saw two direwolf losses, both Bran's and Rickon's. We also saw a lot less of Ghost than expected. Now think back to what I said about Summer leading Bran to the tree and asking if the direwolf pups were sent to the Starks by design. Maybe the question becomes, if Bran is trained up to where he is supposed to be, have the direwolves now served their purpose in the story? And speaking of Bran being trained, again, let's look at these visions as a glimpse along a timeline of a determinist universe, since there is no evidence of it being otherwise. Let's also assume that the Three-Eyed Raven has seen the future and the past to a greater extent than Bran has before his download. This is probably why his role is somewhat limited in showing Bran what he shows him. He may have already known his own fate and what Bran knows at that point, and realizes that there is nothing more or less that can be done no matter what he does. But, does the fact that he continues to urge Bran give us cause to believe that Bran can, in fact, affect the seemingly inevitable war between the White Walkers and man? And what clues, if any, have been given in these visions we've witnessed to indicate how that might happen? I'll get more into that in a moment, but there is one more key mistake that Bran makes that causes the end of his training. His impatience. In haste and without permission, he continues to go into the Weirwood network, eventually allowing the Night King to see him and grab him, which leaves a mark on him that not only allows the White Walkers to find the tree, but also to breach its protective magic. It was you. You made the White Walkers. We were at war. We were being slaughtered. Our sacred trees cut down. We needed to defend ourselves. From whom? From you. From men. He saw me. He touched you. I don't know. He was close, but... He touched you. He knows you're here. He'll come for you. But he can't get in. He can now. His mark is on you. You must leave, all of you. Come on, Hodor, help me with the sledge. Hodor. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. The time has come. The time for what? For you to become me. But am I ready? No. This obviously was always meant to happen as well, just as a determinist universe dictates. Otherwise, the Hodor thing might never have happened at all, right? While I feel that Bran has learned that he must take greater care in regards to the network, it definitely comes at the cost of his mentor. 
seemingly what remains of the race of the children of the forest, his direwolf Summer, and, of course, Hodor. And because of these events, his final download is rushed and overwhelming for us as viewers. But there is a through line that I feel is present in all of the visions we've seen Bran experience. I'll get to that after we look at the visions that are given to Bran as he flees from the tree with individual thoughts as we go along. Some of the visions we have seen before, some are new. There are three sets of visions cut in between the exterior of Bran being towed by Mira frantically away from the tree, and some shots go by so fast that I'm just going to group the bits that I feel fit together into single descriptions. First, some past visions. We see pyromancers making wildfire, presumably tied with Ares Targaryen, the Mad King, and his order that we hear three times burn them all. In addition, we see Jaime Lannister approach the Mad King as he issues that order, a shot of shadows as Jaime kills Ares, and then Jaime sitting on the Iron Throne. Now, why is Bran being shown this? What is the important part of these sequences? Is it to show us that wildfire could be used as a weapon against the White Walkers? Or is it possibly to put Jamie back on Bran's radar as a potential ally or enemy? Other past visions that we've seen before include Bran's fall, the Great Northern Waste, and the interpretation of the Northern Waste, I said the sun coming out, may be an indication of the end of the war between man and White Walker, the dawn of light coming from the long night. That would actually place it in the future, as opposed to a past, which could just be the northern waste that Bran must travel over. But I have no way to determine one way or the other at this point for myself. That decision is yours to make. There is also the many ravens that chase Sam and Gilly, which could be related to the White Walkers, I suppose. Other visions from the past that Bran seems to be experiencing for the first time is in regards to his family and their deaths. We see scattered throughout the deaths of Ned, Rob, and Catelyn. Obviously, Bran knew of Ned's death, but this is the first time he experiences the actual execution of Ned, to our knowledge. But this set of visions is interesting because if Bran did not know what had happened to his brother Rob or his mother Catelyn, he now probably knows that he cannot turn to anyone in his family for help, save possibly for John. Which brings me to the White Walker visions. We see the Night King creating Craster's baby into a new White Walker. We see him raising the dead at Hardhome as well as parts of that battle and John's involvement in it. We see the battle at the Fist of the First Men as well as Leaf creating the first White Walker, presumably the Night King. We also see Bran's vision of the White Walker army and him being touched by the Night King. Why is Bran being shown these? Some new, mostly old. But what keys can Bran find in this? Well, he gets an understanding of how the white armies are raised and how new white walkers are created. Can this information be used to defeat the white walkers or perhaps appease them? And there's another set of flashes regarding dragons and flashes of Daenerys with her baby dragons. With this, Bran is now very aware of the existence of dragons, assuming that he can figure out that he's looking into the present or near past. In addition, there are shots of the shadow flying over King's Landing, so if he can put it together that this part is in the future, then he can probably figure out that Danny will be with this group of dragons. 
Dragonfire obviously could be used against the White Walkers, and possibly to make more Valyrian steel swords to arm men with, so this might be crucial. I mentioned the pyromancers earlier. There are shots of wildfire exploding that actually seems to be the explosion we saw in the season finale as opposed to anything to do with Ares or the other pyromancers themselves. This was another way the showrunners kind of telegraphed Cersei's plot in poor fashion in my opinion. But as far as Bran goes, it gives him the knowledge of the destructive power of wildfire. So this again could be information Bran needs to fight the White Walkers if necessary. And that looks at the download in its kind of individual sets. But what is everything Bran saw with the Three-Eyed Raven within the tree or within these downloads? What is the Three-Eyed Raven trying to tell Bran? Much of what Bran saw in the tree was about the White Walkers or leading up to the John reveal that he got later on. There was also White Walker information gathered in the tree. And much of the fleeing of the tree involved White Walkers or Daenerys dragons, and wildfire. So let's look at what all that means. If Bran is supposed to be the one to stop the White Walkers, as he told Sam and Gilly, he now has a great deal of information at his disposal that he can relate to relevant people. He needed to know about Jon because Jon has been the first line of defense at the Wall for a while now. He needed to know about Daenerys and dragons because of their ability to be weapons or to potentially make weapons against the White Walkers. And he may have gotten a great deal of information about the White Walkers in order to understand what drives them or how to keep them at bay if necessary. Remember that Sam has valuable information about fighting the White Walkers himself, but one piece he obviously doesn't have is about Daenerys. John has information about the White Walkers to some degree, but as far as we know, he doesn't know why the White Walkers take Craster's babies. Daenerys obviously has little to no idea about the peril that Westeros faces from the north as she makes her way to conquer Westeros. And then we have Bran who has managed to create truces between otherwise hostile parties such as Mira and Osha. Therefore, I theorize that Bran will be integral in creating an alliance between John, Danny, and the realms of men to either make peace with the White Walkers or to destroy them if need be. How can he get Danny to accept the truth of the White Walkers? By introducing her to a family member, a Targaryen family member, who has fought them. And in reverse, the political machinations of the King of the North can be put aside by Jon if he finds out who his real family is. And he might help Danny to solidify her kingdom in the aftermath of a new long night. Additionally, for all we know, there are still caches of wildfire throughout King's Landing that can be used to fight the White Walkers if need be. And there is information about the White Walkers that Bran has that might bring about some type of truce or peace between the knight and man if a war yields no clear winner. I think Bran now has all the pieces of the puzzle that he really needs in order to fulfill those words that he and his group spoke to Sam and Gilly about stopping the White Walkers. There is a problem, though. And that is the last part of Bran's journey that we must now cover. We finally get another narrative through Bran that answers a long-burning question for many fans. We now know what happened to Benjen. The arrival of Benjen confirms Bran's status as a three-eyed raven, but Bran's impatience has created an accelerated peril for all of Westeros as well. The last letter John wrote me said you'd been lost beyond the wall. They'd a ranging party deep into the north to find White Walkers. They found us. The White Walker 
stab me in the gut with a sword of ice. I'll be there to die. To churn. The children found me. Stopped the walkers' magic from taking hold. How? The same way they made the walkers in the first place. You saw it yourself. Dragonglass. A shard of dragonglass plunged into your heart. You are the three-eyed raven, no? I didn't have time to learn. I can't control anything. You must learn to control it before the Night King comes. Drink. One way or another, he will find his way to the world of men. When he does, you will be there waiting for him. And you will be ready. This is where I leave you. You're not coming with us. The wall's not just ice and stone. Ancient spells were carved into its foundations. Strong magic. To protect men from what lies beyond. And while it stands, the dead cannot pass. I cannot pass. Where will you go? The great war is coming. And I still fight for the living. I'll do what I can. As long as I can. Thank you, Uncle Benjamin. I wish you both good fortune. The magic that keeps Benjen from passing through the wall most likely also keeps the rest of the armies of the White Walkers from doing the same, right? And we've seen that the mark given to Bran by the Night King allowed the army to pass through the tree to destroy the old Three-Eyed Raven. But Bran must now relay this information he has gathered in order to form these alliances needed to stop the White Walkers by whatever means. Does this not mean that he must travel past the wall himself in order to relay that information? And will the mark that he bears that gave the walkers the ability to come into the tree also allow them to pass through or over or breach the wall? It would seem that unless Bran can exhibit some more of his telepathic abilities, as he did with Jojen, Bran will have to come through the wall. But I honestly hope that the magic part doesn't come into play, because I feel that that potential peril has already been proven to mean nothing in Season 1. If the dead army cannot pass due to the magic of the wall, then how was it that the white that ended up attacking Commander Mormont was able to do so? So we've already seen that the dead can pass through the wall. You might say that the magic could still keep out the White Walkers, I suppose, but that's not what Benjen says. Benjen specifically says the dead. What does that mean for the story? Does it conflict with what we saw in Season 1? So is another option to look at it from the flip side of the sake of equal speculation and say that Bran chooses not to go past the wall because of the mark. Could he possibly now reach out to the dreams of a John? or a Jamie, or a Daenerys, in the same way that he was reached out to by the Three-Eyed Raven, now that he himself does indeed have that same Three-Eyed Raven status. Those are questions that we will have to wait quite a while for to get the answers to in Season 7 of Game of Thrones. 
And that is where we will end our look at brand. So I hope you enjoyed this edition of the podcast, our final look at brand. Next time around, we have the Mystery Night from the Dunkin' Egg series for you book readers. Again, I'm trying to mix things up between our uh, book readers and our television show people so that everybody has something to be satisfied about. And thank you so much for listening. Again, if you have any feedback regarding these casts or any casts that we've had in the past, feel free to contact me. Here's Axel Foley from the Small Council Podcast to tell you how. Take care. You've been listening to Podcast Winterfell. Find the podcast blog at podcastwinterfell.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter, twitter.com slash winterfellpod. Contact the podcast either by email, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com, or by calling the listener line, 314-669-1840.